You're listening to the Rob Review Podcast. Evan Rob and Laura Rob share their thoughts and opinions on teaching, learning, and leadership. And now, the Rob Review Podcast with Evan and Laura. This is Evan Rob, and I'm joined today with Laura Rob. This is the Rob Review Podcast. Welcome, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here, as always, Evan. Well, I always enjoy our conversations, and I know we have a good one today for our listeners. This is a continuation of our podcast, There's More Than One Way to Skin a Cat. Our focus here is classroom seating. What does it reveal about learning? And Laura, you know, we always begin, um, you make me work my brain and come up with a memory. And boy, do I have some really good memories about classroom seating. I um, mean, it kind of goes like this. When, when I was a little kid, you, all, you bought me the uh, battleship game. And I like that game because you would move the pegs to sink a battleship. And I had a classroom in middle school that was very similar to the, to the battleship game. Our classroom was in perfect rows. And each row was given a letter. And then each seat on the row was given a number. So I was E3. And that was my seat for the entire year. And my other friends had a different letter and a different number also. And uh, once again, I learned something back in seventh grade that helps shape me for um, how I look at classrooms today, and that was clearly not a positive experience, Laura. I couldn't agree more. When you tell me that story, what comes to mind is words like inflexibility, uh, isolation, students are isolated, things never change, that seating doesn't match instruction, that uh, instruction most likely was static with the teacher totally in control. Well, I, I like your words like most likely or these are the things that it brings to mind. Um, what it brings to my mind was that it was absolutely horrible and the instruction was incredibly rigid and I didn't learn anything um, in that classroom, but unfortunately I had quite a few that kind of fit that bill. But we do still have classrooms today across the United States of America that are um, in rigid rows. Absolutely. Three weeks ago, I visited a high school and middle school, and the students were sitting in rows. The teacher was in front of the room in the high school lecturing or sitting in his or her desk and proceeding to lecture. So I think, you know, there are a couple things that, that we want to talk about today, which is, you know, what does the way that a classroom is put together say about learning for the kids? What does it say about the teacher? Um, what might it say about uh, an educator who is uncomfortable to break free from very rigid rows within a classroom? And how do we move more towards flexible spaces? So let me set the stage like this, Lord, and then I'm going to let you go with it. What I would say is changing a classroom from rows to groups without the teaching changing really doesn't do anything at all. I totally agree. You still have a teacher-controlled and teacher-centered classroom. In our last podcast, when we were talking about management, we said that it wasn't the teacher's classroom or the student's classroom solely. It's our classroom. We are in learning together. And if it's our classroom, the seating arrangements should reflect that philosophical perspective. Yeah, I agree. And I think the other thing that's important is that flexible seating is an important element to bring into a classroom. It's not that groups are magical or putting desks together in pairs are, are magical. I think the thing to think about is depending on what 
the teacher is trying to accomplish in the classroom should dictate, for lack of a better word, how the desks are put together within the classroom for the learning to occur. I couldn't agree more. That the And the students should have a hand in it. They should begin to understand that seating changes or uh, the, the students you work with or collaborate with change depending on what kind of work students are engaged in. The other thing I really like in all classrooms is a quiet space. Years ago, one of my students said that they really needed a place where it was quiet, and they asked if they could go out in the hall, and we're not allowed to let them sit in the hall while we're teaching. So I developed a space with a sign that said, quiet space. When you're in that space, minimal talking because students want to read, they want to work on a journal entry, or maybe edit a piece of writing. That's a very important space. Another important space is a conferring space where, and that should be a way so that there's some privacy, so that the teachers can confer with students and do interventions, but also that students can confer with each other. You know, what you're talking about, you know, when I quickly think about that, it seems more elementary, you know, that you might see that more in an elementary classroom. But I know what you're saying is that, no, you know, don't limit your thinking and believe that have a quiet space or a conferring space is something that should be in third, fourth, and fifth grade classrooms. It could be in any classroom. Absolutely. It, it could be in a college classroom. It shows that the teacher has an understanding of students' needs and is responsive to what students want. Actually, the class that asked for a quiet space was an eighth grade class, so that they were at the top of middle school uh, on the cusp of going to high school. It really serves no purpose to be rigid. What it does serve uh, it does serve students when there is that negotiation and instruction is not the teacher lecturing and in charge, but it is the students collaborating, learning together, working in pairs or working uh, individually. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good point. And one of the things that you, know, you and I talk about this a lot is this is a change in, in many ways of the of the role of a teacher. You know, the very traditional role of a teacher, and I've talked about this in our podcast before, of a history teacher lecturing in front of the classroom behind a podium, everyone sitting in rows doing their worksheets, playing History Jeopardy, taking a test every Friday, is a very, the, the teacher is in charge of that room. The students are compliant learners within that classroom. But as spaces get more flexible, the teacher's role becomes quite different. Absolutely. The teacher is more of, of a facilitator, um, a support person. What I'm looking for when I walk into a classroom is, is meaningful learning taking place. Are there opportunities for being creative, for thinking out of the box? Are there opportunities for being inventive with your learning? If the teacher is always in control, then it's the teacher's agenda that the students fulfill. We need to change that to having the students do the work. My favorite lesson plan that I tell teachers is, I want a list of what the students will do during that class. 
not what you will say, what you will orchestrate, but what will the students be actively engaged in? Great question, and, and appreciate you sharing that in this podcast. I think the other thing that I'd like to have a little talk about before we come to the end of this podcast is what kind of things can a lead teacher or an administrator do within the building to help people think differently about how they teach, uh, but also how their classroom is is set up and, and, and certainly how that impacts the way that they teach. You and I talk a lot about book studies. We talk a lot about article studies, and it seems like that would be an excellent way to raise people's awareness and, and just gain some new understanding about a different way to do things. Another aspect of this is to develop the teacher's mental model of where you want them to go, and that takes time. Book studies start that, but there are two ways that I find really support enlarging and changing that mental model. One is to watch videos of classes that are student-centered. The other is to have that teacher visit classrooms within your school district or outside of your school district that are student-centered. Yeah, I think that, that's actually a really good idea. The, there are a lot of great articles and, and a lot of great information out on the web about classroom design and, and flexible seating, but nothing resonates more to someone than to actually see it in action. And that can be through peer observation that occurs within a building, or it could be, if, if, it, is, uh, if it can happen, going to another school where, where staff are doing some things really creative and being able to observe that. The ideal situation is to have it in the building. So if you have a teacher who has already made that shift, that teacher can be paired with a teacher who is willing to consider making that shift. Yeah, I think, you know, I've had experience with this over the years. You know, I've never found anyone who was just indignant about the way that their classroom was set up. Maybe that seventh grade teacher that I had back when I was a kid did. Uh, but people want to do the best for kids. They want they want kids to be able to learn. They want to feel successful about uh, about their jobs and how they help children learn. People might need to just see a different way. And sometimes if they see a different way or if they have support to do that, um, change can occur. What I would say is just as you and I have said before in many podcasts, Mandating kids to be compliant learners is not effective, and mandating teachers to not be in a row and to be in a group is not going to create sustainable, effective change. People need to understand how this can make their lives better. They need to see it, they need to try it, and they need to feel supported. And that brings me to a third way of doing it, and that is when they call me into a school district and I work with teachers for two or three days, and they are my students, and they learn in that student-centered classroom. And they move around, they change groups, they debrief, they talk about how they feel, how this could translate into their room, what steps are they comfortable taking to start making the move. We just don't change it overnight, but we give teachers the gift of time. Thank you for sharing that, Laura. We are coming to the end of this podcast. We've talked a lot in this podcast, encouraging people to think about how your classroom is set up. Think about flexible spaces. Think about what does your classroom say about you as an educator or or you as a learner. And we always, always stress the importance of creating supportive opportunities for teachers to be able to reflect and to get assistance and get support in order to try things that are new. Rep. Evan, I just need to bring out this point. 
that if the principal says that every class will be student-centered within three months, it's not going to happen. That's a top-down decision, and it shows a lack of understanding of the nuances and the emotional change that teachers need to make in order to be successful. Yeah, it even shows more than that. It shows exactly what kind of leader that person would be, and probably not someone that you or I would want to work with, Laura. This brings to a conclusion the Rob Review podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Rob Review podcast. Check out our blogs at therobreviewblog.com and tell a friend. Thanks again, and see you next time.